The reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word. Jacob, thank you for doing our reading, and don't forget tomorrow morning, 5.30 here, you're going to Uganda. (laughs) (laughs) It's my privilege to introduce today our guest speaker, who is one of the finest young men I know. And he used to attend this church, and then he decided he wanted to volunteer with the youth group, and then he did such a great job with the youth group as a volunteer, we decided to hire him full-time as our youth pastor. And then he was doing such a good job as a youth pastor, we changed his title to associate pastor and included youth, but a bunch of other stuff we could throw at him. And one of that is to hear from him from the Word of God and have him preach. So, Pastor Pete, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. Okay. (laughs) You know, he's introduced me three times, and I've liked it every time, so (laughs) thank you. Appreciate it. Jake, Jacob, thank you for reading for us. Uh, you know, I was reflecting on uh, public reading of Scripture, and when Jesus was here on earth and he did that, he stood to read, so I'm glad that we keep that tradition alive and do the same. Um, I was also reflecting on Jesus in preparation for the sermon, which is a good thing to reflect on. And Jesus, when he was here on earth, he told us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we just spent 22 weeks going through the book of Revelation, the book that reveals to us the character and nature and plan of Jesus Christ and where we fit in that. And we spent 22 weeks hopefully falling more in love with who Jesus is as we saw who he is revealed in his scripture. And a few things I want to remind us that we learned about Jesus. We learned that Jesus is a lover of all people. We learned that Jesus is a keeper of all promises, promises both to the righteous for for safety through the tribulation and and a renewed earth and and reigning with him, as well as Jesus keeps his promises to the wicked and that promise of a righteous judgment upon them. And so as I was reflecting on, well, where do we go from having six months of learning and falling deeper in love with Jesus? What's the next step? And then I remember Jesus' words was the second greatest commandment is like the first, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. I was like, oh, let's go with that one. And as a church, we love our neighbors as ourselves really well. We do that here at KCC by being a family for you. Uh, And many of you, you have read that in our bulletin, KCC, a family for you. You've seen that on our website, and you've experienced that in your own life. That's uh, the story of me and my wife when we moved here 10 years ago. We, We found a family here, uh, many of you adopted us and, and encouraged us and, and prompted us into godly living as adults. And I know that's many of your testimonies as well. And so as a church, as we're coming up on the new year, I want to I continue diving into that theme of being a family for you and loving our neighbors as ourselves well. And so we're going to dive into scripture today. We're going to look at how to continue doing that well. So would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. Lord, we thank you for giving us a family to walk through this world through. Lord, thank you that you came over Christmas and that we got to celebrate you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're coming again and we are excited about your advent. 
Lord, I ask your blessing on those who are unable to be with us today, either because they've moved or, or maybe they're out of training or deployed uh, away somewhere. Lord, would you be with them and bless them, those listening online. Um, and Lord, for us that are here, we ask that, that you would speak to each of us and that you would convict our hearts um, for things that are true and of you. And Lord, that we would fall deeper in love with you today and that you would speak through me words that are right and true and by the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was a summer after my sophomore year in college, and my cousin Jerome and I were going up to Yankton, South Dakota to spend a few weeks with Grandpa and Grandma. Now, I was coming up from southern Missouri, and it was southern enough that we called it Missouri. Uh, my cousin Jerome, he was coming from uh, UH, so we met in the middle, it's Yankton, South Dakota, and we're going to do whatever Grandpa wanted us to do. Now, I know uh, a few of you have met my Grandpa Lou from when he was still alive and would come out here. And for those of you that haven't met him, one thing you should know about Grandpa is he had four fingers, and they were like this. And I always remember it was his right hand that had three fingers because he said he still had his trigger finger because he loved to hunt. <clears throat> well, Grandpa would always tell me, Grandpa, what happened to your fingers? He said when he was a boy, he was out in the woods one day. All of a sudden, he turned and he saw a bear chasing him. So he, he took off trying to outrun the bear, couldn't do it, put his hands behind his neck to protect his neck. The bear bit, <laughs> took off his fingers. Something else you should know about Grandpa. He's a storyteller. <laughs> he actually it was a machinery accident, but nevertheless, that was what Grandpa's fingers looked like. But we got up there. Grandpa had a grandson do list, like many of you have a honey do list, you had grandson do list, and we had a few projects we had to do for grandpa. So Jerome and I, we were city boys, we grew up in the suburbs, grandpa grew up in the country, so he, he taught us a thing or two about what to do. So we got up there, he had a big riding lawnmower, he said, boys, we got to take off the, the mower deck, you got to sharpen the blades. We're like, I don't know how to do that, grandpa. And he sits back in his lawn chair, and he, he points at the different tools we'll need, and which screws to unscrew, and which bolts to unfasten, and we learn how to sharpen his mower blades. All right, we did that, grandpa, we did a good job. All right. Well, he trusts us to do the next project. The next project on Grandpa's grandson do list was to fix a barbed wire fence. So he had a 100, 200 foot long barbed wire fence. The top wire was, uh, it was sagging, and he didn't want the horses on the other side to, to jump over. So he went out there. He showed us how to tighten that fence. It's a two person job. One person, uh, is the lucky one, and, and he takes a tool and he, he pulls it, the top wire real tight and holds the tension, hopefully doesn't slip and let go because the other person with that wire under tension is nailing the wire into the fence. And if it slips, then the barbed wire ends up cutting him. So me and Jerome were wondering, okay, well, who gets the unlucky job? And we, we John can opposed for it. And Jerome's scar will always remind him of who won that John can <laughs> Well, we fixed it, though. We were proud of ourselves. So Grandpa gave us the third project, the third and, and the grand finale of all projects. We were to fix his boat motor. So Grandpa, like all good grandpas in the Midwest, has a big fishing boat, and there's two motors on the back, one big one for when you really want to fly, and then a little one just in case that big one breaks or you want to putz around and do some trolling or something. And, and we go out there. Grandpa sits in his lawn chair tells us which tools to get out and which screws to unscrew and which bolts to unbolt. And we look in and Grandpa says, you see that, boys? And no, Grandpa, we don't see it. He says, that's the motor mount, if you say so. And he says, it has a crack in it. It's not going to work. We've got to fix that. Okay. 
So he teaches us how to take out the motor mount, and we go and we, we get a new motor mount at the parts store. We bring it back, and Grandpa tells us, okay, now take the screw and, and tighten that one. And do you have that bolt tight enough, boys? Grandpa, we, we have it really tight, I promise. Okay, you got to keep it tight. All right, we got it. It's real tight. We put it all back together. It's good to go. The next day, we're going out to test out that boat motor. So he wakes us up, 6 a.m., he calls it daylight in the swamp, he gets his conch shell out, he blows it, we jump awake, we're ready to go. So we go out, uh, we go to the Missouri River, uh, Grandpa teaches us how to back the, the truck and the trailer into the river and keep it attached to the dock, we jump in, and we just use the small little engine because we're starting out going downstream. The place Grandpa wants to take us is about 30 minutes downstream, we're like, where are you going to take us, Grandpa? It's a surprise. Okay. So we get, it's about 30 minutes, we look to the left, there's a small river, and since I'm from Missouri, we call it a crick, so see a crick, and we, we start headed up that crick, and we have the little motor put, 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 putting along, and pretty soon, all of a sudden, we hear a, like, bottom of the boat, what was that, Grandpa? Oh, you'll see. We hear another, and then all of a sudden, we see all these fish jumping beside the boat, they're this big, it's not a fish story, they were really this big. <laughs> They were jumping all around us. You could hold a net out, and you could catch them like that. We're like, Grandpa, this is glorious. It was like an avatar moment with this crazy nature scene, and we're just enjoying it as little kids, and Grandpa's having the time of his life watching us go through this moment. Well, we're there for about half an hour, hour. Grandpa says, okay, it's late enough in the day. Let's get home. Grandma's going to have a good dinner waiting for us. All right, Grandpa, sounds good. Thanks for taking us here. So we go back out, go down the creek, we get to the Missouri River, we take a right, we go upstream. If any of you have ever boated on a river, you know you do it the opposite way around. You know you're supposed to start the day going upstream so that at the end of the day, if something happens to your motor, you can float down to where your, your trailer is. Well, Grandpa was so confident in the ability of his grandsons to fix that motor mount to make sure it was tight that he let us go downstream first. And so we get back, we're going upstream, and the, the little engine is putting along, but Grandpa goes, all right, boys, it's time to test out the motor. Let's see how you did. Start up the big one. So we fire it up, and we're going along, and me and Jerome are just feeling like the most manly men possible. We fixed Grandpa's motor. Oh, man, this is great. Well, about a minute, and me and Jerome are like, oh, no, what happened? So we take off the hood of the motor, and Grandpa looks in, and he goes, boys, where's the motor mount? Did you tighten that bolt tight enough? Oh, no, we thought we tightened it, Grandpa. We didn't tighten it. Grandpa just decides, it's the funniest thing, he's just laughing the whole time. He tells us to fire up the little engine. Put, 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 put. We spend about three hours putting upriver <laughs> on the Missouri River, get back to the truck, Get back to Grandma's for a late dinner. Grandpa's telling the story, just laughing the whole time. Me and Jerome are like, oh, we're such city slickers. But Grandpa has a good time with it. So that's, it was a good day. Well, that summer, us three men had some needs. Grandpa had some needs. Jerome and I had some needs. Jerome and I had the need to learn a thing or two about country living. And we had the need to learn the best thing to do when you drop your motor mount in the Missouri River is to laugh and just have a good time with it and enjoy the ride. And Grandpa had some needs too. Grandpa had the need for us young bucks who had energy, who had strength, 
to go and fix some projects around his house and to give him something to laugh about. But more importantly, Grandpa had the need to pass along the wisdom that he had obtained through years and years of living so that his legacy would last far beyond him. So that summer, Grandpa's hands, they looked like this, but he needed someone with hands that looked like me and Jerome's. And we needed someone whose hands could only look like Grandpa's and our needs could only be met by him with his hands. Whose hand do you need today? You have a need, you come here. Is, can your need only be met with somebody who's maybe older and his hands look like grandpa's? Or maybe your need could only be met by someone whose hands are like mine and, and that are younger. What is your need today? Maybe you just had a little baby. First little baby, you're so excited, the meal trains are coming, but now your baby's a few months old and the meal trains have run out and your husband's paternity leave is over. And that cute little girl, she's sitting there on your lap and your whole goal for the whole day is to make dinner so that when your husband comes home at six o'clock, you guys can have a nice family meal with your little girl. Well, as most little two-month-olds do, your, your daughter, she doesn't sleep for her afternoon nap and she's cranky. And so you spend the whole afternoon just comforting and taking care of your baby. When your husband comes home, there's no dinner, there's dishes, you have yet to comb your hair for the day. You have a need. Your need is someone to hold your baby for 30 minutes so you can make dinner and comb your hair for the day. Or maybe you're sitting in the school cafeteria and you're eating lunch right before your chemistry test. All of a sudden your, your pocket buzzes, you pull it out, it's a text message from your best friend and her boyfriend just broke up with her and you're texting her back, giving her advice, comforting her, but then you got to go to your chemistry test. And, and you're wondering, you're like, oh, I'm so worried about my friend. I need to be there for them. And so when you're taking your chemistry test, you're not focused and you end up getting a, a C or, or a D on your test. You have the need for wisdom, how to handle these complex social situations and how to manage your own emotions so that you can meet the needs that are before you, even when you have all this other stress going on. Or maybe you're getting ready to go on a month-long training exercise and your boy's going to have a school concert. You have the need that somebody's going to be there and, and give your kid attention while you're gone. And someone's going to give your wife a break so she can have an hour to herself while you're gone. Or maybe you're a, an empty nester. You just retired. Your kids, they've grown. They've left the house. You have maybe time and extra money. For the first time in your life, you're still healthy. But you have the need to make sure that somebody still needs your voice and that your voice still matters in this world. Or maybe you've grown and you're at the age where your body is starting to give out from old age, from a disease, and just waking up and getting through the day with a smile is tough, let alone mowing your grass or taking your trash out. You have a physical need, but you also have the need knowing that somebody's going to glean from the years of wisdom that you've obtained and that your legacy will pass along to the next generation. You have a need, and you could use a hand meeting it. So what do you do? What do you do? You turn to Galatians chapter 5. This book has an answer for everything, so we're going to Galatians chapter 5. It's a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. It's in southern Turkey. 
the church he had started on one of his first missionary journeys. And now the church was doing good, but all of a sudden there's these people that have come up to them. They're called the Judaizers. And they're trying to tell these people that the gospel of Jesus in Jesus alone isn't enough. They also have to follow the law of Moses for salvation. And so Paul's writing them, trying to correct this, this bad theology that they're, they're currently being taught. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, he speaks on the subject. He says, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the Apostle Paul, he's saying, the way that you live out the gospel isn't by making sure you're obeying all of Moses' 613 laws. It's just fulfilling the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. And as you serve one another, you're fulfilling that and you're living it out. He's saying you do the life of Christ as Christ did. And Christ said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And he washed his apostles' feet and he said, go and do likewise. And so Paul has some examples of how to do that, how to serve one another in the church. A little bit further down in chapter 6, verse 2, Paul gives one of those examples. He says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the burden that these Galatians were having, we can tell by context, was probably the the burden of sin. uh, And they were restoring each other back from sin into righteousness. But as Christians, there's lots of burdens that we can bear just going through life. And as we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the whole law of Christ, Paul says. Now, what's the law of Christ? I don't remember reading it. This is the law of Christ. But I can gander the law of Christ to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And according to Google, they think so as well. So it must be right. The law of Christ. It's the law of love. And we fulfill it as we bear one another's burdens. So how do we do that as a family for you here at KCC? How do we bear one another's burdens? How do our needs get met and we serve one another? Well, I want to suggest to you one way that we do that here. One way that we can serve one another, we can bear one another's burdens and meet each other's needs. I want to suggest to you that your needs are most naturally met through intergenerational relationships. Now, I'm going to say that in a a more simple way, and Sean's got a, a graphic he's going to put up. Your needs are met as you meet the needs of another generation. And if I would have made your outlines properly, this would have been one of the lines and one of the words would have been a blank you filled in. So you choose which word to fill in. (coughs) Your needs are met as you meet the needs of another generation. Now what do I mean? Another generation, that's someone who's older than you. You have a relationship with them. That's someone who's younger than you. You have a relationship with them. And in that relationship, your needs will be most naturally met in a very easy and biblical and natural way for them to be met. We carry different burdens at different ages. The burdens of our youth, of this church, look much different than the needs that I carry. 
The needs that I have are different than you empty nesters. Empty nesters' needs are different than you elderly saints of our church. We carry different burdens, different needs, and God puts us together as a family for a reason so we can bear those burdens with ease with one another. So we're going to take a look at a couple biblical examples of how this works, how we can meet each other's needs intergenerationally. We're going to look at two examples in Scripture. One is going to be the bad example, and one's going to be the good example. Then we're going to look at some modern-day research that kind of shares what, what Scripture portrays as true. So the first example, the bad example, is in 1 Kings chapter 12. Go ahead and go there. 1 Kings 12, it's before Psalms. And as you go, I'm going to kind of catch you up on the story that we're jumping into. So at this time, in the narrative, we have the Israelites, and they've just become uh, a nation. They've, were, their 12 tribes were first united under King Saul, and they had a, an earthly king. And then after some weird social dynamics, King David came along. And then you have King David's son, King Solomon. And under Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel became more prosperous and more famous and more glorious than it had ever been throughout its entire history. It was so financially rich that Scripture tells us that silver was actually just like, oh yeah, common, oh yeah, silver. I've got hundreds of silver coins. It's no big deal. So Solomon, the way that he did this, the way he made his nation so grand, was he imposed heavy taxes on the Israelites. And he conscripted a lot of forced labor for his, his palace to be built and for the temple to be built and for all these building projects he had built. Well, as he was doing this, Solomon took notice of one of his warriors in his, in his army, and his name was Jeroboam. All right, so he's a soldier. His name's Jeroboam. The names kind of get confusing in the story. So we're going to call this guy Jerry, if that's okay with you. Okay with you? All right, so Jerry, Jeroboam, he's a soldier in Solomon's army. He gets Solomon's attention because he's so good. So King Solomon says, hey, Jerry, you're going to be in charge of this building project. He's like, okay, sounds good. He gets all these people to work for him. He's like a foreman now. And he's doing this building project. And all of a sudden, this prophet comes up to Jerry and says, hey, Jerry, I got some good news for you. You're going to be the new king. Me? How come? Well, you know, Solomon, there's some, some sin going on in the camp. I don't like what's going on. So I'm going to give 10 of the tribes to you. And I'll keep two of the tribes under Solomon because of his dad, David. But you're going to be the new king with 10 tribes under you. And, and Jerry says, hey, I kind of like that idea. Well, he probably starts telling some of, the, some of his workers, hey, guess what? Shh, don't tell anybody. I'm going to be the new king. Woo! Everybody's excited. Coconut wireless still happened back in Israel. Went. It kept spreading. King Solomon got word of it. And, and he didn't like that there was going to be a new king. So he started chasing Jerry, and Jerry ran away to Egypt, so he wouldn't get killed. So that's how the story goes for a while. Solomon, he grows up, he has a kid, but then he dies. Sorry, Solomon, bad news for you. Good news for your son, he's going to be the new king. And his son's name is Rehoboam. All right, so you got Jeroboam, Jerry. We have Solomon's son, Rehoboam. We're going to call him Ryan for the service. So we're going to say his name's Ryan. His real name's Rehoboam, just so we don't get confused. He's getting ready to become the king, and at his inaugural speech when he becomes the king, all these other workers are like, hey, wait, I thought Jerry was going to be the new king. 
Let's call him back from Egypt. And so Jerry comes back from Egypt. He goes to the inaugural ball or whatever's taking place, and he has a question for King Ryan, for Rehoboam. And that's where we pick up our story in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. 1 Kings 12, verse 4. So this is Jeroboam, the soldier, asking the new king, Rehoboam, a question. It says this, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we will serve you. Sounds like a pretty good deal. Verse 5, Then he, that's uh, Rehoboam, then he said to them, Depart for three days, then return to me. So the people departed. Verse 6, King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? Then they, the elders, spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Sounds like a pretty sound counsel from these, these older, wise counselors that Rehoboam says. Let's see what he did with it. Verse 8. But he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him, and he went and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him. He says, you know what? Older generation, we don't do things that way anymore. I'm going to ask my buddies for their wisdom, and I'm going to do what they say to do. Now, if you know the story, King Rehoboam goes back to Jerry, to all his people. He says, my, my dad Solomon, man, that guy was a lightweight. I'm going to make your taxes more. I'm going to make you have more for, forced labor. Life's going to be so hard for you, but our kingdom's going to be great. And everybody's like, no way, man. We're walking away. We're following King Jerry. And so the nation of Israel was split into two, into the northern tribes with, with the ten tribes under King Jeroboam, and then the southern tribes, the kingdom of Judah, under King Rehoboam. Because Rehoboam did not listen to the counsel of the older generation. He sought his needs to be met by his own generation. And that is an example of what not to do. We do not want to do that. But compare that intergenerational relationship with a different one. Compare that with Moses and Joshua. So Moses, we all know him. Joshua was a younger man that we met, that we meet in Exodus chapter 17. And Moses <coughs> instructs Joshua, this young man, to go and lead a, a troop of Israeli soldiers against an enemy king, and they do well. And then after that moment in Exodus 17, we see Joshua walking with Moses for the next 40 years through the wilderness. And Joshua is called Moses' aide, Moses' servant. And Joshua is meeting the needs of this older man, Moses, as Moses is leading one and a half million Jews across the wilderness. Joshua watched Moses as Moses went up to the top of Mount Sinai to get the Ten, tab or the ten Commandments on the tablets. Joshua saw Moses when Moses came down and had righteous anger and threw those tablets at the people because they were worshiping a calf. Joshua got assigned to go into the promised land and spy it out with 11 other men. And Joshua had front row seats when he saw Moses humble himself and fall down before the congregation of Israel. And he saw what it takes to lead a crowd of a million and a half pe million people. And as he was meeting the needs of Moses, as he was serving him, he had his own needs met of learning leadership 
and humility and faithfulness to God. And he used that need and he went and then he himself led the, the nation of Israel into the promised land and he took over and he conquered the promised land as you know the story. Because he had his needs met by an older man who he was meeting his needs. And that is the good example of what to do with intergenerational relationships. Now a lot of you may have heard the sad statistic uh, that half of the Christian youth in America, after they leave high school, they leave the home, they will walk away from their faith. They'll come home on Christmas break, no, I don't want to go to church, mom and dad. They walk away from the Lord. And as a youth pastor, that's concerning. As, as parents of young kids and teenagers, as a church family, that's concerning. We want to see our youth come back on Christmas break and, oh, mom and dad, let me just tell you the stories of how faithful Jesus is in my life. We want our kids to continue walking with the Lord and make that transition well. And so what do we do as a church to make sure that happens? Well, a few years ago, I was blessed with the opportunity to listen to a gal by the name of Dr. Kara Powell uh, speak on this subject. So Dr. Kara Powell is with the Fuller Youth Institute, and her and her team did a six-year longitudinal study where she and her team followed a group of young Christians from high school into adulthood and beyond and just saw which ones stayed with the Lord and which ones walked away. And what was the variables? Can we see a pattern of who stayed and who left the Lord? You want to know the results? Okay. Well, it was how cool the youth pastor was. (laughs) That was not it. It wasn't how many verses these kids had learned and memorized in Awana. It wasn't if these kids went to a Christian university or had gone to a Christian high school. The number one factor that determined if these kids would be part of the 50% that stayed with the Lord or left the Lord was if they had five intergenerational relationships. Five intergenerational relationships is what it took. They had a few people that were older than them that were walking with the Lord and they were in relationship with so that when the time came and those professors asked that hard question or, or the things came and, and morality just like clashed with what's going on in their lives, they could call that older Christian and say, how did you deal with this? What should I do? And when they came back home for Christmas break, they had some younger kids who, they were, who was looking up to them as role models and they, they knew that they had to continue being there for them at their church. Five intergenerational relationships is what, it take, is what it took to keep these kids with the Lord as they transitioned into adulthood. Now, while that research is only for youth, I think it's safe to say that it applies to the entire age spectrum of all of us. God made the church as a family with different ages and different needs for a reason. And we as a church don't isolate the kids and isolate the adults. We, we mingle together so that we can have relationship with each other so that we can do this thing called family well and that we can do it together. To love your neighbor as yourself, to bear one another's burdens and to fulfill the whole law of Christ. Let's meet each other's needs intergenerationally. 
Now, this is the part of the talk. If you listen to TED Talks, that I give you an application, a take-home moment, so that you can write it down. You'll be like, oh yeah, I'll do that. And there's like the, the, the simple level, the, the B level, then there's the A level, then there's the extra credit level. So just the most simple way to have this reality in our lives of being in intergenerational relationships, of meeting each other's needs, is to do something like what my wife did. So Liz, she's sitting right here. We can all look at her and she can feel totally embarrassed. Um, She's amazing. But eight years ago, we had just been coming to this church for about a year or two, and she decided that during that aloha time, she was going to go up to a teenager every week and just ask some questions. Hey, what's your name? Where do you go to school? What do you do? And then the next week, she was going to do the same thing with another one or reconnect with that one. But it doesn't have to just be meeting somebody younger than you. You could also go and meet somebody older than you during Aloha time or after church and just say, hey, what are you going to do this week? And then the next week when you see them during Aloha time, say, hey, how did that go? I was thinking about you on Wednesday when you, when you did this. And then you, you begin an intergenerational relationship. Or maybe if, if you're physically able to and, and your time schedule allows, you jump in and you volunteer at Awanas or Sunday school or you jump into the nursery and, and you help meet a need of a younger generation. Now, I asked Julia, I said, Julia, how many, how many people are volunteering in our children's ministry? And I added that number to how many people are already volunteering in our youth group. And there are over 115 of us who are volunteering in kids' ministries already at this church and making intergenerational relationships happen. So great job, family. Great job doing that. That's amazing. 115. What what would it look like if maybe, if you're a life group leader, if you do what many life groups are already doing and make a 15, 20-minute time where the younger generation, your kids or or the teenagers, join you in your life group and and share in the, the spiritual conversation. And they share what they're learning about in Sunday school or the Bible verse that they learned or the, the prayer requests that they have. And we, we continue this, this big church together mentality in our life groups. When I was preparing for the sermon, I'm looking for it, I, I read this quote um, and I thought it was really powerful. It's from another group that did similar research as Dr. Powell did. <clears throat> so it says this, this is the quote. Involvement in all church worship during high school is more consistently linked with mature faith in both high school and college than any other form of church participation. Involvement in all church worship is the most important form of church participation for mature faith. What if we continue doing that, not only in big church, but also in life groups? So I'll be honest with you. Volunteering, it's a good thing. But there's, there's a place that I have a hard time volunteering in. I have a hard time volunteering in the nursery. So it's confession moment. But here's why. I want to tell you my reasons, and I've rationalized it myself well, and it makes good sense to me. <laughs> I have a beautiful daughter, Amaris. She's 18 months old, but I am with that daughter all the time, and it's glorious. But for me to go and volunteer in the nursery to take care of someone else's beautiful daughter would take the Sometimes the only 45 minutes of alone time that I have to sit next to my wife while it's sunlight of that entire week. 
takes 100% of my alone time with her, and that's sitting right here. And so, and so it's tough for me to do that. But I see some of you in the nursery who are younger than me, who have yet to have kids, and you're in there volunteering. Or I see some of you, you older people than me, who your kids are already grown. You don't have those babies at home anymore. And you're sitting in the nursery, and they're crying in your ear, and you're just smiling. It's the best sound in the world. And they spit up on you, and you're like, oh, I love the warmth. It's so nice. But thank you. Thank you guys for doing that. Because for me to meet the need of my own generation is so hard. And I'm so blessed when somebody else of a different generation is meeting that need. So thank you for doing that. But as I was thinking, I, wanna, I was thinking that sometimes the needs of the younger generation are oftentimes the ones that are most highlighted. And, and us young parents, the kids, there are so many needs and they're so visible that sometimes that's what we focus on. But there are more needs than just my own. There are more needs than just the, the people younger than me. What about the needs of the middle generation of our church? What about the empty nesters who for the first time in 25 years, their house is quiet on Christmas? And maybe it's nice for the first year or two, but the third and fourth, it's getting kind of old. How can us younger generation help meet your needs and continue being family with you and letting you know that you still have a voice that I need to hear? What about the, the older generation, our, our elderly saints of our church whose bodies are starting to give way and just to take their trash out on Friday nights takes all their energy of that entire day? How can we meet your needs? Can we, can we take you to maybe your doctor's appointment? You've already had three this week, and this is number four. Can we take you to your doctor's appointment so your caregiver can have a couple hours to themselves? Can we also meet your needs, the needs of the older generation. You know, there's a group of women at our church that are doing this very thing in a really creative and excellent way. There's a group of women at our church, they call themselves the Granny Nannies. And I'm sure you've seen them, they've got their little club and they're a lot of fun. And what they have done is they have decided that even though they have already raised their kids, they've already had their careers, or some of them have put their careers on pause so they can do this, and they have positioned themselves in a place of life that they can come along their grown kids and that they can watch and, and babysit their grandkids on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And they're meeting the needs of their kids so that their kids can go to work without sending their kids to a babysitter. They're meeting the needs of their kids by watching their grandkids so mom and dad can go to Maui for a weekend and have some alone time or they can go on a business trip to the mainland. And as they're meeting the needs of the younger generations, you can ask them and I bet you that they would say that their needs are getting met as they do that. Their needs of having a little kid run up to them and hug them and smile at them and say, hold me, tutu. Their needs of getting their 10,000 steps in because they have to chase around these little kids. <laughs> their needs are getting met as they are meeting the needs of another generation. And not everybody is in a place that they can do that. But what if we begin to think creatively about how we can be in relationship with each other at different ages and meet each other's needs in ways that are easy for us but maybe a burden for someone else? So I want to close our time with a scripture that Jacob read. It's in Galatians chapter 6. 
verse 10. And it's the same train of thought that Paul's talking about, about how to bear one another's burdens, how to fulfill the law of Christ. In verse 10, Paul says this, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Let us do good to one another. So I want to thank you for doing good to me and my wife, for being family to us and bearing our burdens as well these last 10 years, and for encouraging us. And let's continue to be a church that does that with excellence. Would you pray with me? And if you're here today, and this all sounds great to, to be a family with each other, but the very first need, the greatest need that you have today is the need of salvation so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, would you just pray a simple prayer like this? Say, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins and welcome me into your family. And so, Jesus, we do thank you that you have welcomed each of us into your family. You've made a place at the table. You've given us abundance. Thank you for this family, Kailua Community Church, that has impacted me, so many of my brothers and sisters here, and so many around the world. Lord, would you continue to let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the faith. It's in Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Have a great Sunday. See you all soon.